0: Bobo Network is the bomb The cutting edge of geekdom Comics, advice, D&D Movies, video games, RPGs Finding it's easy, just stay calm
1: This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Noble Knight Games, where Out of Print is available again, and listeners like you, thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and D&D Classics affiliate links. Hey, it's Eric Mona from Paizo Publishing, and you're in tune to The Tome. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And uh, it turns out that this summer, the Tome hosts and regulars are kind of traveling all over the place, so uh, we don't have our usual co-host this time around, because Tracy is off in Germany. But in case see, this is your first Tome Show show, or episode, uh, we are a D&D podcast, giving all kinds of advice and reviews and what have you, and I'm kind of flying with an outline instead of a script today. So if things sound different, that's why. Uh, speaking of Tracy traveling to Germany, a bunch of us are traveling, as I, as I mentioned, uh, and that's sort of where this episode and series of episodes is going to come from. I think we're going to do th- four episodes, Tome Travels episodes, in a series this summer. Uh, with myself, I just recently returned from a trip to, uh, up and down the east coast of the United States, and next week I take off for India. Uh, Tracy, as I mentioned, is in Germany. And then we have a Tom Show regular and host on Behind the DM screen, Mike Shea, with us as well. Mike, hello. Hello. And where are you going uh, tomorrow? I'm going to Ireland. That's right. So you should be able to hear. The idea behind these episodes, uh, this series, I guess, is that as since we're all traveling all over the place, there should be some great ideas that come from that, uh, bits of inspiration we can get from going all over the world and the country and what have you for games. Uh, and so we're going to do an episode for each one uh sort of what what inspired us what did we see that could be used in a game what did we see that we were going to use in a game um all kinds of different stuff i know i i, I get to go first because i went i just got back from the east coast uh, road trip with my family and uh, i've got a full page front and back top to bottom uh with notes from my trip so uh, of different ideas i had for games as we went along so that's what we're doing great and i know mike's excited I'm excited. And we'll see how this goes because this is, you know, first time we're doing all this. But before we go too far, we should mention our sponsor for the episode, Noble Knight Games. They are a great uh, game store that has an online game store as well. They specialize in carrying out-of-print products. And our pick for this episode, or my pick for this episode, is Colonial Gothic which I found to be apropos since I just took a trip up and down the East Coast and saw a lot of the the, the birthplace of the United States uh, from the American Revolution. Colonial Gothic is a uh, weird sort of role-playing game system and setting um, based around the American Revolution, right? The idea being is that, you know, you think you know the history, but there's a secret history behind the history and it involves magic and monsters and all kinds of weird things going on in the colonial days, um, you know, and all that so uh, Colonial Gothic and it just recently released its second edition um, so there's all kinds of things in there for inspiration uh, as well as several um, secondary books to uh, to support the, the game going into more detail check it out I'm going to link to the larger Colonial Gothic page uh, in the show notes and make sure you tell Noble Knight Games that the Tome Show sent you Noble Knight is a long-standing game store specializing in finding out-of-print games while also offering the newest great releases.
0: Including D&D?
1: They got it from any edition. That's right, all of them.
0: What if I want a board game? Card game minis or dice?
1: Noble Knight has it all and at a discounted price. In fact, Noble Knight has over 30,000 unique items on stock. And you know you can trust this Better Business Bureau accredited store with a satisfaction guarantee.
0: Yeah, but I've bought too many things over the years. How can I justify spending even more?
1: Good thing we're talking about Noble Knight, then. They'll buy your old gaming things and offer you cash or trade, so you'll be able to keep up with all the great gaming stuff you want. Check them out at noblenight.com.
0: Wow, I'll go today!
1: And be sure to tell them The Tome Show sent you. All right, Mike, I was up in your neck of the woods yep the last week or so you didn't stop by i did not stop by it's rude you're not important
2: i guess not i already knew that <laughs>
1: <laughs> but uh dc wasn't on the agenda this time around we actually did dc a couple years ago right yep. we, we i remember we had dinner that's right um but what we did though is we went up to philadelphia uh, we went then from there we spent like a day in, a day, day and a half in Philadelphia then went to Boston and spent one day touring Boston then we went to Niagara Falls spent one day touring Niagara Falls and then on the way home stopped by Monticello and saw that for you know a couple of hours before we took off uh, but it turns out kind of by accident it ended up being sort of a good um, tour of the birthplace birthplaces of the United States right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as we went along, I took all kinds of notes. Every day, at the end of each tour day, I sort of pulled out a piece of scrap paper in my pocket and, and jotted down a bunch of notes. And then to, earlier today, I organized them all together.
2: And, and were these were these notes strictly like things that you would use in a role playing game or something like that? Or yes,
1: yeah. So the idea, yeah, the idea was um, anything that I saw or heard that I thought gave me any inspiration of something I could use in a game. Right? Gotcha. And, and part of the idea here is that it, if you're looking for it, you can find inspiration for games like all over the place,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? Uh, but sometimes you, we have to train ourselves very carefully to look for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I found that because I was doing this – I knew I, I was thinking about doing this Tome Travels series. Um, I was looking for things all over the place. Specifically, you know, oh, how could I use that in a game or how could I use that in a game, right? And so I was finding things that, that could be inspirational, um, whereas normally I probably wouldn't have even thought much about it. Right. So I start in Philadelphia. And my first source of inspiration, as, as I drove up and down, I think it's Interstate 95 um, through Philadelphia because uh, my wife, the day before we did our tour stuff, my wife ran a marathon in Philadelphia. Oh, wow. And so I was driving up and down that road, uh, that interstate. From our hotel to to where the race was several times that day, and and my first bit of inspiration had nothing to do with me actually learning anything or seeing anything unique other than a name. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the exits that we passed by was Aramingo Street, hmm. and I thought Aramingo sounded like a really cool name, and I decided that Aramingo is a person, and he's sure. and he's a professor, hmm. uh, and he's he's very he's well. Not a, he's not a swashbuckler. I well
2: be a swashbuckler.
1: I don't know. I had in my mind Professor Aramingo who's, you know, sort of an yeah. N- an NPC who shows up and he has all the kinds of information that would be very useful to your PCs, but he's kind of an arrogant jerk. <laughs> you,
2: you have know? to deal with him.
1: Yeah, you have to deal with him because he knows stuff and he's and he's he's well-meaning, but he's also fairly certain he's the smartest person in the room.
2: Right.
1: You Is know, he? he? He may be, well, maybe on his area of expertise. Okay. Right. Uh and so I just I don't know, I as I was driving around uh thinking about Professor Aramingo, I started having the, this whole pseudo conversation with you know players that weren't even there, you know. Right. Uh and sort of nailing his personality down. And I thought What did, what did your what did your wife think? Uh she, she was actually running the race at the time and I was driving to a her at the finish line, so it was just me and, and my so son. So no one yeah. Well, my son was in the room, in the in the car with me, but Was you know,
2: he looking at you funny while you're having this conversation with I, yourself?
1: I think he's used to it. Yeah. <laughs> So that was my that was my first Professor bit of information, Sir
2: Aramingo.
1: <laughs> I kind of picture him as a as a doddering sort of fellow, Aramingo. <laughs> although although you're right, with a name like that, he could be uh, some sort of swashbuckler.
2: I'm writing it down myself.
1: There you go. I even had this whole stolen. I, I even had this whole conversation in, uh, in my head where. Um, the The PCs wanted to just call him Ari, and he was going to, you know, berate them as as lesser beings because they couldn't bother to put the extra syllables in.
2: And you know, yes. Like, do you do you, uh, whenever you come up with an NPC name, do you immediately try to think of all of the juvenile potential ways that name could <laughs> be pronounced so that uh, you can get past it?
1: Uh, I I don't, and I only the only reason I don't is because the times that I have, they've come up with completely different juvenile names.
2: Right. So. For example, I think in one campaign that I was running in, uh, a character's name was Amapanil, and we started referring to him as Menomina. Manamana. And that's just, you know, and the, luckily the DM just kept smiling. Sure. But he hated us. I could tell. <laughs> well, he's li- he's a listener, by the way. Is he? Yeah. Well, hi, hi.
1: James. Hi James.
2: Sorry about Menomina. <laughs> In any case. Um next i would be was, happy that I remembered it was Monopoly, But Of course go. I had to I had to think back. Except that it probably wasn't. It was something completely different and yeah, you know, you've just misremembered yeah, I just it. Butchered it. That could be. Yeah.
1: <laughs> after that we managed to get uh after the race and all that we managed to get actually get out and, and see some sights. Um that day we we walked from, you know, sort of down, well, It's downtown although in Philadelphia they call it city center or something because they're apparently too cultured for downtown. Hmm. Um, and so we walked from our hotel that was down there up to the art museum, um, the the Philadelphia Museum of Art that is very famous because you've all seen it in the movie Rocky where he runs up the steps. <laughs> did uh, you run up the steps? I, I we, we all ran up the steps individually and then had other people take pictures of us along the way. Yes, like, well, and held our arms up at the top. Did Absolutely. you make it the whole way? Sure. I mean, it's not that it's not that long. <laughs> not that <hard. laughs> I mean, he ran all over the city before he went up the steps, right? So <laughs>
2: it's not a Mayan pyramid. No,
1: no, no, no. <laughs> um but then the, the next day we did sort of that um, the the double-decker bus tour where they were you know giving us information about stuff right uh, and then we went back to the art museum at that point and he, they mentioned that uh, it, in every like corner of the museum there are griffins
0: mm-hmm.
1: they've actually have little metal griffins you know decorative griffins sitting uh, in every corner that are also double as lightning rods right which I found to be really interesting um, and you know they would go to the, the trouble of being so artistic with their lightning rods, and it. it came to, came to me. Well, if in a fantasy game, there's no reason those griffins couldn't be actual griffins, sure. you know? And they are maybe they're activated by or charged or brought to life by the lightning that hits strikes them or whatever during some disaster. Hmm. Uh, across the street from the museum, um, I was looking at a, a big statue of I believe it's George Washington. And it occurred to me how there's this just really weird mishmash of imagery in that statue. Mm. Um, it's a lot of Native Americans. It's a lot of sort of almost Greek um, imagery and allusions uh, going on in there. And it's like this is so like like you understand that at the time um, of Washington and all that, they were really into like the classics, right? And so they were trying to honor the classics and at the same time reference you know America. You know right. thus the Native Americans or anything? Most of this stuff on there, <clears throat> so far as I could tell, and I didn't, you know, get into the, much of the history of it, doesn't really have much to do with Washington at all. Um, and so it occurred to me, you know, it would, and, and you have statues and stuff like that all over the city, like everywhere mm-hmm. you go, you run into a statue of somebody you've never heard of before. Right. Uh, and it occurred to me, you could you could create an entire town based on the idea of there are just memorials and statues everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, and make this sort of the, the town with you know with a long memory or whatever. Except that nobody actually remembers who any of these people are. Mm. You know, some of them are famous, some of them are known. Maybe they're heroes or gods or legends or whatever. But some of them are long forgotten, or you know, like the the Greek thing, right? Oh yeah, we know who those gods are, but they're not real. They're just stories that kid. You know, we tell kids or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. um, and I feel like you could you could do a whole. City that way mm-hmm. uh, and populate you know oh well, this is the the revolutionary district where all the statues are from from those people are this is you know that district or you know whatever and and they could all have different significance and I can see a whole urban adventure going on where the different statues are actually providing different clues right uh you know even though nobody in the city you know maybe has any idea what that statue means,
2: you know I can see all kinds of fun and interesting things going on from that sure it's a good it's a good way to inject some history into a uh uh, into a campaign as well, if you want to, if you want to tell a little spot of history at a at a time, but di- you know, feed it into a way that players can digest it well. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of having monuments, uh...
1: and it's something that I don't do very often in my games. Is include monuments and things, unless it's specifically relevant, you know, to yeah whatever puzzle I'm putting in front of them. Yeah,
2: right, right. Yeah, it's like you know, <laughs> never have a never have a statue in Act One that doesn't come to life and kill the players in Act Three. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Very good. Uh, and now, something I noticed um, both in um, Philly and in Boston, this this ring ring up again, is that there's a real tendency to take old like stations and turn them into modern markets or bazaars. Mm. Um, in in Philly specifically, I, I wrote the note down for Reading, uh, Reading Station. It's spelled Reading, but it's pronounced Reading. I'm told right, right. Um, which was the old uh, Reading Railroad. Mm-hmm. Like for Monopoly, right? Um, and then today, though, the the whole station is empty, and it's this just this massive sort of open market thing, hmm. uh, which is really cool. But then I saw the same thing again, or similar things again, uh, like in Boston, we went to Quincy Market, uh, which I suppose at the time, you know, was always sort of a market, but it was it was you know where people would bring in their livestock and thing, and now it's been turned into a modern market where you walk up and down, and there's shops and, and restaurants and things all over the place. Uh, and it just seems to be a, a real sort of common trend to take these old historical places with big open open rooms and throw up a bunch of booths and call them and call them a market, right? Mhm. And something that that hasn't I haven't seen in places that I've lived before. So I thought that was a cool idea. You could easily do something like that with um with a, a fantasy setting, right? Mhm. Whether it be an old, you know, maybe it's a lightning rail market that you, or a station that's turned into a market, or or whatever, you know, there's all kinds of things you could take like that and turn them into these new modern m- markets or bazaars.
2: Yeah, yeah. But, yeah one but, thing but that but I give um, it a, but
1: give it a sense of history that that thing that place was important for other yeah, reasons in the past. Right,
2: right. Kind of adding another another variable, another another layer to a location is to mm-hmm. you know say this is what the location is used for now. This is what it used to be, and. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, like using an old station. You've, I don't know if you've seen at Con one of the hotels, one of the Gen Con hotels is at the rail station. In fact, yeah, yeah. Uh, we shot our, we, we did one of our podcasts there. Right? You did a yeah. bunch of podcasts there,
0: yeah, and
2: they actually have rail cars as hotel rooms. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely, and it's and it's and it's fun to get sort of that sense of history. Oh, oh, this was something else before, and it can right. help inform your game world at the same time. Maybe yep. the, maybe the story is relevant to what's going on. Maybe it's not. Yeah, uh, but it adds some
2: depth to what's. Yeah, and some true. of that detail I think is important to throw in there and not necessarily have relevant, right? Right. And, and maybe it's not for maybe it, just texture.
1: Yeah, and maybe it's not relevant now. And then six months from now, somebody remembers it and becomes relevant, right?
2: Yeah, a player brings it up, and suddenly it becomes something.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to get uh, later on. Um, I think at Monticello, almost all my notes are just here. are All these little details, you know, that you could throw into a world to make it feel more alive. You know, all these quirky little fun things. But mm-hmm. well, we'll get to that. Um, the next thing I I, I heard that, that spurred some ideas for me um, in Philadelphia was they talked about how there are, there's artwork and murals and things all over the city.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the reason that there's uh, murals all over the city is because um, back when graffiti was sort of a growing problem, they actually put it into the law that if you get caught spraying graffiti, your punishment is to help an artist create a mural. <laughs> Right, and and so they still do it, and so I, I'm like that. That is a brilliant idea, to t- the idea of make the criminals fix the problem.
0: Mm-hmm. You know?
1: And so, so you know, I, I could totally see, um, you know, a fantasy world wherein you were caught doing this minor crime. Now your job is to improve the town, and it it doesn't have to be you know digging a ditch or whatever. It can be now you've got to go out and help you know paint the this this memorial, or you have to go out there and and help this this carver chisel away at that stone or, you know, but make it some sort of artisticy sort of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Again,
1: it's mostly just – that's mostly just a sort of setting detail, right, again. But I can totally see some of that coming up. Right. Uh, the other area – the next area that, that caught my attention – we didn't get a chance to stop there, although I wanted to. This is – and this is sort of a theme of, of my whole trip, right, because we hit everything for one day. So we kind of got the chance to see everything and not actually go anywhere. But there's a, a penitentiary – an old uh, – was it Eastern Pennsylvania penitentiary or, or prison or whatever?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, that actually looks like this old, like keep or castle from the outside. Mm-hmm. It's really cool looking in the middle of a you know a modern city. Um, but it was it was apparently known, well known that they didn't do much in terms of rehabilitation there. Um, and so there's sort of this legend about it being haunted and lots of people dying there. And and if if you stay there long enough, you eventually go mad, um, you know. And so I don't know. That seems like our A prime location sort of location to have an an adventure in right? Right. You've got this massive castle-like prison and everybody who goes in goes crazy Mm -hmm. there's obviously something going on there. It's haunted or there's some sort of uh, Cthulhu-like thing going on or whatever, right? There's all kinds of stories that can be told with that.
2: I kind of, yeah, you could have a, you could have a prison that's actually, if you're, if you're going back to kind of your ancient monuments that aren't even known anymore, you might have a prison that has been a prison for so long that nobody actually remembers why it had been built or what it had been created mm-hmm. for. And it actually is imprisoning something far worse than the people that are kept there now. Absolutely. So nobody, nobody even remembers that it's there, but it's slowly trying to escape through the prisoners that are, that are there. Maybe Absolutely. It's a, See, a psychic thing, all kinds of ideas come out of that. Sure. I love old prisons, and I love ancient creatures that have been imprisoned for whatever a million years. Absolutely, and and were
1: bred thousands of years ago just to kill your party.
2: Yep, yep. I did. I did that. I know you did. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. That caused problems. <laughs> yeah. in my storyline.
1: Uh, my last Philadelphia thing um, probably comes from a combination of being there and touring all these places, and then also having recently watched the movie National Treasure.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, and it occurred to me that. There's no reason that a dungeon has to be, an uh, a faraway place that nobody ever goes to, right? Mm-hmm. Pick a historic landmark that is now in ruins and is a tourist attraction, and that can be your dungeon. Mm-hmm. And part of the obstacles that they have, to, that the PCs have to overcome, is the security that's set up for the historic landmark. Mm-hmm. You know, to keep the tourists in yeah. line and, and, and what have you, you know. And, but maybe there's something there that you need to do or get or see or whatever. So you've got to break into this, you know, historic landmark. And so suddenly your dungeon is no longer a, you know, a, or maybe it is a dungeon, right? But this is the famous dungeon where where Raren once, you know, found the artifact of. of Smiting that saved the world, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but now, you, now it's a big tourist attraction under you know next door to a, a famous tavern or what have you. And now you've got to try to sneak in there after hours and, and mm-hmm. find the thing that Rara never found. You know, mm-hmm. very sort of national
2: treasureish that way. What's what's the name of the inn in uh, Waterdeep? The Yawning Portal. Yawning Portal. Yeah. So that yeah, that sort of thing. Right. Absolutely. Except that you know the. Under mountain's not really a tourist attraction. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. You might have like the first few levels are a tourist attraction, but underneath that it gets it gets significantly yeah. more.
1: Or there's some secret room that they never found or whatever. Yeah,
2: right, right. There's a, a wall that has a code on it no one ever was able to get through, but mm-hmm. uh, Aramingo knows it. That's right, he does. So that's Philly.
1: Uh, my next stop was Boston. And I didn't get a lot of stuff on Boston. I actually found – well, partially because it was raining half the day, so we didn't get out to see as much. Um, But there were a few areas that occurred to me as we were in Boston, one of which I suppose could have occurred to me in Philly, but it it didn't. Um, And That came from the idea of Chinatown, Mm -hmm. which both cities have, and both have sort of on their tour routes, Chinatown. Uh, In fact, um, I think I even mentioned something about this online somewhere, but um, I discovered that the old uh, Liberty Tree – Mm-hmm. That was in Boston, sort of a symbol for the revolution, um, is now sitting where, uh, what was it, a, a Dunkin' Donuts on the edge of Chinatown is. Hmm. There's a plaque sort of up on the building signifying that that's where it is. But now, the, you know, the old Liberty Tree is now a Dunkin' Donuts in Chinatown. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, but the idea of Chinatown is what is what sort of um, grabbed my attention. The idea that you could, there's no reason you couldn't have sort of immigrant areas in a fantasy setting as well. And sometimes... People do this, right? Um, or some settings do this well. Uh, but it, it occurred to me because I was specifically thinking about about my game a little bit as I went through this, right? And I'm thinking about my Return to the Temple of Elemental Elemental Evil game,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I was thinking, you know, I've got this whole storyline of trying to restore the dwarven throne. What if dwarves started showing up and created sort of dwarf town?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and, and there's this whole dwarven sort of uh, sectioned off area. Um, but there's, uh, but it could also be, you know. You know, maybe the, the old empire had slaves, and now slavery has been abolished, and all those people end up living in, in the same area together. Or it could be imported workers, like like a lot of it was for the Chinese, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but but it, you could do all kinds of fun things like that in a, in a fantasy setting that sometimes does not get get heavily explored, right? And the other th- thing that struck my fancy in Boston was um, that apparently most of the city of Boston, as it exists today, used to be water. Hmm. And they filled in the land, uh, and mm-hmm. there were there were some cases where they spent decades, twenty four hours a day. Uh, I think I think it was twenty four hours a day for like forty years, dumping water into this this harbor to create land, to just fill the, the water and create more land so they could grow the city. Wow. Um, you know, just the massive amount of effort that that would take, uh, you know, and at a time that it was mostly being done, I imagine, by, by horse and carriage, although, you know, later on, maybe maybe truck or train anyway. In fact, I want to say they, they said something about running tracks out to be able to do that. Uh, but they just, you know, it used to be this teeny tiny little peninsula. And now it's this, this large fat chunk of land sticking out into the water, um, you know, to the point that, that they don't actually know for sure where like the Boston Tea Party happened. hmm and and there's three possible sites for it, and two of them are actually currently in the middle of the city, completely surrounded by land. Hmm. You know, um, and, and just that whole idea that you can have this massive man-made change in geography, but have it go by over such a long period of time that nobody sort of remembers otherwise. Uh, and it occurred to me, you know, that could be a whole part of a, an adventure as well. You know, you, you're living in a city, or you're in a city, and they filled in the land, you know, hundreds of years ago. There's, but you cut a legend somewhere or a story somewhere that there used to be a cave on, right. the, on the waterfront that entered these dungeons that you need to get into, and but now it's all been filled in and nobody quite knows where it is. And either way, it's probably been buried. But if you can figure out where it used to be, you know maybe you can get down into the, whoever's basement that is and, and break down a wall and, and find your way into the dungeon or something. You know, right? I just thought that was a new, a little challenge that I, I've never seen in a in an RPG before. Hmm. That was Boston. Hmm. I mean we saw a lot more in Boston, but those are the notes I have from Boston. Right. Then we went to Niagara Falls.
0: Hmm.
1: Niagara Falls I feel like could be a setting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's all kinds of stuff going on at Niagara Falls that you could use. And, and, and I, I have more like setting concepts I think than I do adve- specific adventure concepts. Um, you know, I saw some pictures of Niagara Falls uh, from when, it, when it's frozen – Mm-hmm. The, you know the idea of this massive waterfall completely frozen creates a really cool sort of ice cave situation. Uh, it also occurred to me that it would be kind of awesome if it was frozen for magical reasons, mm-hmm. and the PCs were there to to end that effect. But by doing so, they catch themselves in the waterfall. Hmm. Right? Oh, now it's not frozen. You're, great, you're in the middle of it. Yeah. Hmm. Um, there's a a big tunnel. They call it the Cave of the Winds, which is a bit of a misnomer because it's not really a cave. uh, At least not anymore. Um, Basically, they dug a shaft straight down and then straight out to the edge of the cliff next to one of the falls. Mm -hmm. And then every year they go out and they build out the sort of stairs and and walkway areas. And every single year they put it out and then every single year they tear it back up. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because, you know, It would freeze and get destroyed, and they'd have to rebuild it anyway. But it gets to the point where there's one section of it where you're literally standing in the falls.
0: Hmm. Like
1: they call it the hurricane deck because it's like being hit with hurricane force winds. Really? Yeah. And so it it occurred to me that this whole thing could be a thing, right? Uh, Going out to these uh, to these uh, you know what's the word? These platforms you know that maybe that's where you've got to go to to fight off the the big bad that that's frozen the waterfall and then it ends and you're caught in it and you know you got to hang on for dear life or whatever but then the tunnel itself is really cool like today it's a big elevator at the time uh, back in the day it was you know a, a really steep rickety staircase hmm. going down to the bottom of the tunnel and then a big long tunnel to get out to the edge of the cliff and then the cl- the tunnel itself now it's been plastered over on the side so it looks all modern or what have you but the the top of it the ceiling is still like this uh, beaten bronze or copper sort of thing with big hmm. with big bolts in it and it's like it would be that that it feels like a really menacing sort of trap tunnel in a, in a fantasy game hmm. you know I I feel like you know with the waterfall right there surely that's an energy source this mm-hmm. thing this this ceiling would would easily be conducting electricity you know mm-hmm. the, I'm gonna mm-hmm. call this the lightning tunnel you know
0: yeah right
1: <laughs> and it suddenly becomes this whole other this whole other challenge I almost envisioned that they ha- they go out the tunnel out to the platform to end the magic that's causing um, the fr- frozen waterfall uh, the waterfall starts churning again they get caught in the blast of it they find they finally manage to survive their way back to the tunnel and now because the water is flowing the tunnel is electrified. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so just challenge after challenge.
2: Yeah, waterfalls. One of the one of the things I like to think about with with dungeons and particularly li- living dungeons, you know, dungeons that are doing things. Right, they're mm-hmm. not static entities. Is the idea that um, they can be powered? And the easy way is, oh, they're powered by magic. You know, there's magic things that go on in here and it resets all the traps and stuff. But I always like mechanical. And one of the great energy sources that can reset and. Charge and build and move and do all sorts of stuff. Is water, Mm -hmm. right? If it's built along waterfalls or it's built along a river, there's any kind of current that's going through. It can use that, and through levers and pulleys and and water wheels and everything else, it could reset traps. It could, you know, move things. It could have all kinds of stuff going on.
1: Absolutely, and you did that in your slave lords campaign, right?
2: Yeah, my slave lords. Right, there was these giant water wheels that Mm -hmm. uh, kind of, you know. they were big pumps. Twice twice now I've screwed up and had dungeons that are below sea level. <laughs> and um, uh, and both times I had to come up with some massive pumping mechanism that kept them from getting flooded that lasted like 10,000 years, which is really hard to do. Sure.
1: But, yeah. well, only because you insist on trying to make some sort of logic and consistency
2: out of it. Yeah, and I got a bunch of engineers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, I also found that, that we took the, the famous boat ride, the Maid of the Mist, right? Where they, mm-hmm. they take you right up to the falls and it feels like you get to a certain point where you're close enough to the falls that it's just sort of going full speed ahead and you're not moving. Because huh. the current of the falls is so oh, the strong, is so yeah, strong. it's just sort of bouncing up and down on these waves, and you're getting blasted in the face with the waterfall, and the, and you know it's just when it's ready, when it's done, sort of letting you get blasted in the face, which seems to go on forever. Then it just sort of turns; it doesn't, you know, <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't go forward and turn around. It just sort of, right, you know, I'll just now we'll just turn and let the current turn us around.
2: Wow. Uh,
1: but that seemed like a, a good way to sort of be able to investigate what's hmm. going on in this sort of setting, uh, is have, have a situation like that. Uh, at the same time, uh, we didn't get to go on it because it was on the Canadian side and we never crossed the border. Although I know I'm told the Canadian side of Niagara Falls is, is way cooler.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, but there's uh, – we were mentioned to us that we could – because we could see people down in there. There's a, a little tour thing that you can do that goes behind the falls on the Canadian side. Um, so you know, it'd be a good way to sort of investigate what's going on in the falls and, and possible ways of getting around into the falls. Uh, it was also on that boat ride that I first noticed um, there's a building at the bottom of a cliff, mm-hmm. um, right next to the falls,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, on the Canadian side. Which was you know basically the cliff goes straight down and then there's a there's a shelf right above the water and they built this this big you know, building that that in my head uh, if I turned it into a fantasy setting looks like a keep only instead of being at the top of a cliff. They put it at the bottom of a cliff next to a waterfall. Still mm-hmm. almost as difficult to get to, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and apparently it used to be much closer to the, the waterfall itself. Uh, one of the things they mentioned to us on on the Made of the Mist boat ride is that um, the the waterfall actually moves like six feet per year. Huh. Further upstream. It's, const- it's constantly backing up as it erodes. It's
2: eating the rock. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, you know, when they built that... That building was probably you know right in the spray of the of the falls, and now it's moved back, so so it's barely uh, you know feeling that spray anymore. Hmm. Uh, While we were in Niagara, we went down and visited a friend of mine in Buffalo. Um, Buffalo was an interesting source of inspiration because it's an industrial town in decline, Um, and I think you could sort of compare it to a fantasy city where you know the the mines have run dry. Yeah, you know they—they've the, the climate's not super. The climate's not real hospitable. So once the, the the mine runs dry, there's no reason for people to be there anymore. Mm. The infrastructure is still there for a larger population, but the population is just not very big anymore. So in many ways, it's a very nice place to be because you know you've got it's way easier to get around town than it should be for a town of that size. You know, we, we found that the, the the there is no rush hour in Buffalo. Is hmm. We were told. Um, because, you know, you've got interstate for, you know, 25% more population than actually there. And so you reduce that population and suddenly everything just flows real smoothly, right? Uh, and it just sort of creates this weird sort of dichotomy, right? You've got a town that's trying to, to rebuild and trying to be strong and trying to grow. Um, and at the same time, it's got way more infrastructure and things than it needs. And so it feels like a much nicer place um, Except that you know you've got abandoned factories everywhere you look. Or you, you know,
2: so I don't know. I thought that was an interesting sort of a city that you could throw. Yeah, in. the idea of a, of a of a city in decline. I don't think I've ever used that in a campaign before. Right. Like it's it's time has passed, right? Right, the glory that it had is gone, and and but huh. for some reason,
1: and and I mean, go back. I mean, there could I mean, be a lot
2: of interesting tension in a place like that. You know, a lot of religious absolutely. tension, a lot of you know. Well, I
1: mean, and, you, and you kind of do that all the time, right? Like every ruin you ever visit is that
2: yeah but usually go that's you know
1: but yeah you, that's not that's it declined. Been, it, it's already yeah. declined <laughs> it's, yeah,
2: it's, everyone's well gone by that point yeah it's done declining but the idea of going to a going to a town where you know it was flourishing and it was great and now it's and it's still now it's, and it, but now and, it's
1: still there people are still yeah, around
2: people are still living there but it ain't it ain't like it used to be yeah, absolutely and not everybody had a chance to leave
1: yeah uh, and a lot of them don't want to leave you know they're going to be stuck this is my home and I'm going to stay you know and there's no, no way I'm going anywhere else Hmm. The other, my last Niagara uh, source of inspiration is, is again, one of those that I could have gotten anywhere, but it occurred to me in Niagara, because that's the city, that's the one place that we went uh, and actually ate it at Hard Rock Cafe at, hmm. uh, which is ironic because it was the smallest, um, least busy Hard Rock Cafe I've ever seen. <laughs> but that's the one we went to, uh, and it occurred to me, as I'm looking around in the Hard Rock Cafe, you've got... Memorabilia, all over the walls.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You could totally create almost a, a fantasy chain of taverns
2: mm-hmm.
1: that was the Hard Rock Cafe.
2: Hard Rock Cafe of adventurers.
1: <laughs> right. Absolutely. Instead of instead of <laughs> instead of rock and roll, it, it, it's you know adventurer memorabilia. Oh, this is the dagger that Dorgoth right. slayed the mighty serpent with, or whatever you know. Um, you know, and, and it could be oh, and it could be some of it could be. Mundane, stupid stuff. Oh, this is the backpack that the great, mighty, whatever, right. you know, hauled his junk in. Bilbo Baggins drank from that cup. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because a lot of the memorabilia in the Hard Archive Cafe <laughs> is exactly that. Right. You know? a bunch
2: of, yeah. <clears throat> Although it then occurred to Aragorn me, Aragorn like, once wiped his blade with that piece of cloth yeah. and then tossed it aside.
1: <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So, but it it's a, still uh, has the
2: orc blood on it.
1: But, but, like, I feel like then each one of them should have sort of one gem. Mm-hmm. You no know, one, you know, really important thing. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe something important for a PC's quest or a major artifact or whatever, you know. But each one sort of has this, and you don't know what it is. It might, you might think it's one of the pieces of worthless junk or one of the fakes. Right. But it turns out that's really the important one that you should have been paying attention to, uh, and now you know you've got to figure out how to get get it because you need to have whatever that that thing is. I, I don't know. I just thought that was a that's fun actually
2: one. a that's actually a perfect uh, vehicle for a plot as well like a, a perfect way to throw adventure seeds at the adventurers that they have to go recover artifacts of adventurers that are more famous than they are mm from the depths of these terrible dungeons that uh, it, have killed them. You know? <laughs> like, and the hard rock will buy him for them to put on the And the, the hard axe. rock will buy him. <laughs> right. Like, you know, you, you get to keep some treasure, but we need that axe because that axe is an important part. That will be a great part of our collection. That, and, that, that water skin,
1: we were missing that water skin. For
2: the <laughs> <right>. <laughs> but it's not medical. I don't care. It, <laughs> it, could, it could completely be a chain, right? So they, they go to a different city and there's another one of them and they're trying to get stuff. And, mm-hmm. You know, so they're always like, oh, yeah, well, you know, that's, a, that's a much better way than like the wanted board, right? We always know we can
0: go yeah. <laughs> to one of the
2: hard rock adventurer cafes and uh, get Absolutely. some quests there to pick up some crap. Absolutely. That's a great idea.
1: Yeah, so I thought that was fun. Um, and then our last stop on the way back, we, we, and we basically stayed overnight and then spent a couple of hours before we left, uh, was at Monticello. Mm-hmm. Uh, Monticello is the the ancestral home, not the ancestral home, the home built by Thomas Jefferson.
2: Yep, I've been there.
1: Yeah, it's really cool. I felt I felt like we could have spent probably a whole day there. Yeah, um, but you know, two or three hours we, we got a good taste of it. Uh, but it's yeah, it's a really cool uh, place to visit, and it's got lo- lots of stuff going on. Uh, Jefferson himself um, always thought of himself, I guess, as more of a scientist than he did a politician. Um, after he after he I think it was after he had been been president and they were doing a us census uh, he filled out the census as listing himself as a farmer you know you, you're a former president of the United States you listed yourself as farmer <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: right?
1: but he was always reading and always inventing and you know the what is it the the Library of Congress started from his collection that he donated
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You
1: know, and so, and then he travels the world as well. And every time he goes somewhere, he takes new ideas and brings them back to his house. And so he's constantly knocking this house down, or, or, you know, tearing down a wing there and putting up new stuff there, or, or whatever. So there's this weird sort of mishmash um, style of an architecture going on, which I think could really boil some some players' noodles, right? <laughs> <laughs> Give them some sort of dungeon to explore where it's this weird. You no, know, well that looks orcish and that looks elvish. And that's Dwarven over there. And what the heck is going on here? Right. Well, it's just right. one guy that keeps adding on everything he likes
0: right.
1: to, to his home. Um, you know. But at the same time, he's also constantly like creating, creating or utilizing weird sort of little technologies. You know. He's got a book stand that holds five different books and rotates like a, like a lazy Susan. <laughs> You know, and, yeah. and, and next to that on the desk, he's got this this weird sort of thing that he uses whenever he writes letters because he's constantly writing letters. Right. He writes tons and tons of letters. But he's got this thing where he holds the pin and connected to that pin through this device is another pin. Yeah, right. So whenever he's writing a letter, it's copying his letter on another piece of paper.
2: I can't imagine that so works he, well.
1: Right. So he keeps a copy of every letter he writes. <laughs> like
2: yeah. He invented the lap desk.
1: Oh, yeah? They didn't yeah, mention that. that to us.
2: Yeah, the uh, the the whole you know, he had this. Whenever he would go somewhere, he had like basically an office. It was his equivalent of a laptop, right? Oh, it yeah. was a complete office with all his parchment and ink and everything that was stored underneath. Yeah. And he could Absolutely. open it up and do it on use it on his carriage while he was going from place to place. Talk about but, an overachiever.
1: But all of these little things, as I'm going through it and I'm seeing them, feel like just all these little details you could add. And it's not quite steampunky to add right. this to a fantasy world, but it's starting to lean in that direction, you know. Sure. And yeah. it, but it doesn't have to be because it could be just this one really eccentric guy. Because it's not like any of this stuff was commonplace at the time. Mm-hmm. It was just this one really weird look weird guy. Putting all this stuff together because he was really into that kind of stuff, you know. Right. Um. He's got a dumb waiter. Uh, he, yeah. He's got several dumb waiters, but he's got this one dumb we- d- set set of dumb waiters connected to the side of fire to, of, of a fireplace. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it brings wine up from the wine cellar.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So and, and so the sides of the fireplace just uh, the mantle just sort of open up as if from mm-hmm. nowhere, and you're pulling wine out of the fire. Right, which I thought was a really cool cool thing, and then you know he has the whole estate is a working uh, a working plantation, but you don't see any outbuildings. Like, where are the stables? Where's you know the kitchen? Where's all these things that uh, you know every functional estate has all these things? But you from his house you don't see any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. He built them into the side of the mountain because he didn't want to obstruct his view. (laughs) So so there's tunnels going underneath his his home.
0: Yeah,
1: and those tunnels. Are the outbuildings? Yeah, you know. But because of that, he's got this unobstructed view, so he could see, you know, into the t- into town where they were building the University of Virginia, which was the the university that he, that he founded. Mm-hmm. Which is actually another source of inspiration, right? Um, the they they showed us sort of a map of his idea of the layout of of the the university. And at the time, other universities been founded: uh, William and Mary, Harvard. All those kinds of things were around, and they were centered around a church. Mm-hmm he centered his around the, the library
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and the idea of building a community or a school based – in a fantasy setting even, not based in religion
0: mm-hmm. but
1: based around a library I thought was, was a neat idea too. Yeah. Um, and then the only other thing I had on there and, and I guess my last one of the bunch is uh, we heard a story about how um, even after he was president, people would just come to visit Thomas Jefferson at his home. Mm-hmm. You know, there was no secret service and no security or anything like that, right? Sure. So they would just come right up to his front door and start knocking because they wanted to see the president or the former right. president or the guy right. who wrote the Declaration of Independence or however they, they knew him. Right. Right. They wanted to meet this guy. And, and he took everybody in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so his his you know, servant or whatever, um, well, slave at the time, uh, would open the door and let them in, and they would sit in the entryway. Right. And they would be sitting in the entryway for two or three hours. Yep. And because of that, he didn't want to waste their time. So he fills the entryway with all of this bric-a-brac, you know, maps and, and uh, art- artifacts and statues and paintings and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And the idea being, well, if, you're, if people are going to be waiting for me for two or three hours, they should have an opportunity to be educated.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so
1: I could totally see, you know, the entryway to some sort of dungeon and all of the loot is in the first room. and then sort of as a side note to, to the story people would wait two or three hours peruse the stuff He'd come out, shake their hand, and then leave, and and have them kicked out of the house. <laughs> he didn't want to waste their time, and he didn't want to be unfriendly. But he's a busy guy; and he's got things to do. So he'd come out, and shake their hand, and make yeah. them leave. You know, got
2: things.
1: after waiting for two to
2: three hours. Thanks for thanks for coming.
1: Yeah. So you know, I thought that was a, a good story, but yeah, also you know that, that sets up an interesting sort of thing that you could do in, in a dungeon or, sure. or what have you as well. You know, all the the great loot is is there. You know, except for maybe that book you need, which is hiding in the library or, or whatever, yeah, you know. But there's right. all kinds, of, you know. They talk about how most people at the time had probably never even seen a, a, a map of their state. So you put up maps and things for people to see.
0: Right. No, but
1: anyway. That is my two solid pages, 42, 43 minutes worth of inspiration from my trip up and down the East Coast.
2: Fantastic.
1: Anything good in there?
2: Sure. Lots of good
1: stuff. All right, good. Because next turn, next turn is yours, right?
2: I guess, yeah.
1: You're going to Ireland. Tracy's currently in Germany. When she yes. gets back and you get back, you guys are going to record, uh, I guess, two more of these. Or maybe you want to combine and do two and one or whatever. Yeah, we'll see. Um, but you guys will do that. Tracy might do it while she's there with uh, with Jared doing That would be fine. Mm. Um, and then while you're doing that, I'm going to be in India taking notes for the last installment of Tome Travels. Very good. All right. That's the end of that episode. I want to thank our sponsor, Noble Knight Games. We're out of Prince Available again. I also want to thank you, Mike. Th-
2: thank thank you.
1: I appreciate you coming on and, and being my foil for this uh no, not at all. forty, really 40 minute stuff. ramp rant. Um, and I look forward to uh hearing everything you learned sure. in Ireland. I, I, there's gotta be all kinds of great stuff
2: in Ireland. Yeah, well I'm glad before. we did this ahead of time, so now I'll actually be paying attention to that stuff while I'm out there. There you go, there you go.
1: Yeah. Uh, I also want to thank our listeners Thanks for shopping over at Noble Knight And letting them know that you came from us I also want to thank you for using our Amazon affiliate link And our D&D Classics affiliate link Somebody recently asked if I could set up a Amazon affiliate link To the Canadian Canadian version of Amazon uh, And my answer is I don't know yet, but I will look into it hmm. have, you, have you done that with your affiliate link? I have link? not,
2: no. Okay I don't know. I don't know how that works. It does occur to me that we that I have an international audience I should try can they, to. Can they not just use the associate link? I don't know that I've ever... I don't know. I don't know how that works.
1: Yeah, I don't know. So I'll look into it and see what I can do. Uh, in any case, uh, if you want to get a hold of me, you can do so... Well, me or anybody else affiliated with the show, you can email us at thetomeshow at gmail.com. And you can call into the biz line at 919-BizTome. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. And you can find show notes... In, at the website at thetomeshow.com. So from the birthplace of our nation to your game world, this is episode 219, Tome Travels the East Coast of...
0: The Tome. The Tome. The Tome. The Tome. The Tome. Tome. I'm on the